Thank you for listening to the Motion City Church Podcast, where at our core, we are about leading people into an authentic, growing, and thriving relationship with Jesus. Today, we are in part three of our series, Happily Even After, with a conversation on how to make your marriage a priority. Let's listen in. Well, again, we are in part three of a series that we have called Happily Even After because honestly, I believe that there is happiness even after the marriage, even after the honeymoon, uh, after you may realize that you're in-laws are not like your parents after uh, the missed mortgage payment or the missed rent payment or you forget to drop off that Netflix and now you own a horrible movie that cost you $31 and you're like, this wasn't even worth it. There is happiness even after. And we believe that marriage uh, is a good thing. We believe that God uh, is in marriage. He's the creator of it. And as I was thinking this week, wanting to to resource you and the videos have been so good, I just wanted to give you guys just a quick resource. Uh, Oftentimes, it's, it's a book that I mentioned, but sometimes you just don't have time to read a book with your spouse. But one of the things that I wanted to show you is just something that I have been listening to uh, via podcast, and it's called The One Extraordinary Marriage Podcast. And this is uh, easily is becoming one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. It, uh, the couple uh, who hosts it, the amazing Christian couple. And the, the regrettable thing is oftentimes when you attach Christian to something, it becomes corny or it becomes like, tacky, but this is the real deal. Like, I'm listening to these podcasts, and I'm like, they're going to, I'm saying to myself in my car alone, like, they're going to talk about that, and they talk, I mean, it is an amazing resource, about 30 minutes each podcast, they put one out every week, Uh, it's just, and so if you want to use that as a resource where every week maybe you and your spouse listen to this, and and they have different challenges, like they have, I'm just looking over here, they have sex challenges, and they have, I mean, it's just an amazing, amazing resource uh, for marriages that I wanted to pass on to you. So if you wanted to maybe take a listen to that, but uh, feel free. But if not, I'm gonna, and it's gonna be great. My marriage is gonna be wonderful. Uh, so, but we are uh, in part three. And, and so over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about that in order to have a happy and healthy lifelong marriage, uh, we started off, we, had, we talked about two things, that two things need to be in order. You need to start well, and you need to fight fair. And this week's message is entitled, Making Your Marriage a Priority. Because the truth is that there are many things in life, there are so many things in life that are fighting for that top priority spot in your life. And it's amazing that if, you're, if we're not careful, if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, the things that should be at the highest priority when it comes to our lives, specifically our marriage, can oftentimes lose their place because, because of momentary things that in the moment seem more necessary and seem more urgent. And marriage is quickly becoming one of those things that can lose its proper place in the list of priorities in our life. And, and here's what I, what I know. Couples who prioritize their marriage are couples who are satisfied in their marriage. Couples who prioritize their marriage are couples that are satisfied in their marriage. Uh, so on, on April 17th, 2009, uh, Jen and I got married. And it was an amazing, amazing April day. Uh, I've maybe shared this in the series, but I mean, it was raining bef- the day before. It was raining on the 16th. There was rain scheduled for the 17th. There was rain scheduled for the 16th. And we had plans to take our pictures outside. Um, now, I'm a boy, if you have not noticed. I'm a gentleman. And so I'm just like, well, a little rain, that's, that's going to be fine. But my wife was like, no, that's a disaster. And I, and I was learning very quickly that she and I view things differently. I was learning that. Even, even, but we woke up on April 17th. 
I went and picked up Nate because we forgot to print out our programs for our wedding, and we started just running errands like crazy people, uh, talking about anything and everything, and all of a sudden, the clouds broke, and this beautiful April day began to exist. Man, it was like low 70s, no humidity. I mean, it was one. We got some amazing pictures outside, and then we got married, and then we woke up the next morning. We went on our honeymoon, and we got to spend 10 days in Florida, splitting our time between Orlando and New Smyrna Beach, and it was just an amazing, an amazing honeymoon. And the thing that I, I learned very quickly on our honeymoon is that Jen and I were great at marriage on our honeymoon. Jen and I were like on top of our game. We were like the best married couple ever on our honeymoon. And it's amazing how, how incredible we were at marriage when we were removed from situations and we didn't have stress and we didn't really have responsibilities and the only things that we had to talk about were when, where are we gonna have fun today and where are we gonna eat for lunch and dinner and we're gonna swim and then we were gonna do lots of other things that started with the letter S and we got to spend time in amusement parks and we, we, we drove like we didn't care where the gas was, the money for the gas was coming from and, and we got to walk along the beach for 10 days and it was just Amazing. Jen and I were so great at being married. And I remember it was coming towards the tail end of our honeymoon, and we were having dinner, and, and, and we went out and found this, like, really rad little Italian restaurant in Daytona Beach, and, and we were having, we were just talking and having a great time, and we said, man, we, we should take a trip like this every year. And we've been married eight years, and we have not taken a trip like that since. Uh, it has been so amazing because when we came back from our honeymoon, we got home and we walked into careers that were waiting for us. We walked into a townhome that we owned that needed work done on it. All of a sudden, uh, seven months into being married, we found out we were pregnant with Taylor. Talk about an adjustment to life that kid. And as I was studying for this, for this series, studying for this specific message, I came across this statistic that said uh, marital satisfaction, now check this out, marital satisfaction drops by 42% when your first child is born. By 42% when your first child is born. Now here's what I want to say. I love being a dad. Becoming a father has been one of the most incredible, life-altering, wonderful experiences of my life. But I was not surprised one bit by that statistic. Because I remember, I was thinking about the first three months of, of Taylor being a part of our family and realizing I don't want her a part of our family anymore because, because it was just this whole new world of, of, of expectations and, and thought processes. And, and, and for the first three months Taylor was born, uh, man, we were so sleep deprived because Jen had this annoying rule that if she was going to be up, I had to be up. And so we were up a lot. Um, I just used my internal filter, everybody. I really think that deserved more than that. If you know, but anyway, um, but so we were so sleep deprived, and, and and Jen was dealing with postpartum emotions that came along while deal, while while pregnant. And after Taylor was born, dealing with those postpartum emotions and this sleep deprivation in the process, finishing her master's degree in the process, I went right back to serving as a youth pastor at, at the church I was at in Faribault because I had spent the entire uh, uh, allowed paternity leave in the hospital because D Taylor dealt with such a bad case of jaundice. And so we went through that. Then, check this out, then we moved three more times, had another baby, bought our second home, a foreclosed as-is fixer-upper, and they meant it. They meant it. Chip Gaines ain't got nothing on me. 
And then we started a church. I mean, somewhere in that process, the beach became a distant memory that I thought about as I escaped to the bathroom for five to ten minutes to just catch up on Yahoo News and see what's going on in the world. But the point that I'm trying to make is that marriage and relationships are exceptionally easy. When we remove things like stress and kids and bills, responsibilities and problems, and then all of a sudden you wake up one morning and it's like the mood has changed or you get that bill for the first time from the work that's being done on your car or you forget to pay that one bill or put that important piece of, of uh, paperwork in the mail and you realize that you are not on the beach anymore and it can seem like with every problem or argument, the happiness and joy seems to move further and further and further away. But this morning, what I'd like to do, now that I've depressed you, what I'd like to do is I would like to propose that God's plan for your marriage is actually enhanced by the stress and the problems that come along with marriage. And the second thing that I want to propose is that marriage takes work. Some of you are like, duh. Woke up early for that. No, but marriage takes work, but it's work that's worth it. Because if you can make your marriage a priority and put the work in, all of a sudden you can wake up maybe 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, or 10 years in the future, and you could be holding the old wrinkly hand of a spouse that has loved you, and you have loved them through the good and the bad. And you can love them with a level of intimacy that sadly very few couples experience today, looking back on a life that that wasn't just lived, but a life that led to a legacy. But it's going to take work, and it's going to take really, really hard work. But along with prioritizing your marriage, the hard work, we have to understand that God's purpose for marriage is enhanced. But to understand what God's purpose for marriage is, we have to look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this. It says, As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in to one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Paul is quoting Genesis. He's taken us to the old school in explaining and reminding the church in Ephesus as well as reminding us today that God's original and unchanging design for marriage is that there is one man and one woman united and joined together as one in love and intimacy physically as well as spiritually. The mathematical equation goes like this. One plus one equals one. And Paul is right. That math equation is a profound mystery. But Paul is also illustrating that the relationship between a husband and wife, that the relationship that they have with each other should be a reflection of the relationship that Jesus has with his church. And so let's look at what Paul says a few verses before this. And he says this, For the husband, for husbands, this means love your wives, for just as Christ loved the church and gave up his life. Her. This morning, I want to ask you a, a question, and the question is this. When Jesus died for the church, did he do so because the church was making him happy or meeting all of his needs? My mom chuckled. That's the appropriate response. I didn't even tell a joke. She's usually my sympathy laugh. But the amazing thing, if, if you study church history just even for a little bit, you will realize 
that that question does deserve a little bit of a chuckle because the answer is a loud and resounding no. Not only was the church not meeting some of Jesus' needs, they weren't meeting any of his needs. Jesus, in fact, gets so frustrated at one point with his 12 disciples that he he looks at them and he says, how much longer am I going to have to deal and put up with you guys? I mean, this was the most dysfunctional church softball team you will ever see in your entire life. And Jesus is like, how much longer do I have to put up with you? I have heard so many wives ask the same question of their husbands. How much longer am I going to have to put up with this or with that? I've heard so many husbands say the same thing to their wife. How much longer do I have to put up with this and that and compete with this person or that person or this project or that TV show? And right before Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, he begs God the Father to take the anguish and pain that he's about to experience away. And so Jesus doesn't die for a church that is meeting all of, his, all of his needs. He understands that he's dying for a church because they're not meeting any of his needs, because they're getting it wrong. And in the same way, God's meaning for your marriage goes far beyond simply your needs being met or goes far beyond simply making you happy or feeling warm fuzzies all the time, or maybe you just don't want to be alone, so you got married. Uh, Author uh, Gary Thomas, in his book, uh, Sacred Marriage, says this. He says, If the purpose of marriage was simply to enjoy an infatuation and make me happy, then I'd have to get a new marriage every two or three years. If the purpose of marriage was simply to enjoy an infatuation and make me happy, I would have to get a new marriage every two or three years. The feelings of the beach have gone away. And I begin to think sometimes that maybe, if it, maybe it's because I'm with the wrong person that those feelings have gone away. So maybe if I was actually with the right person, maybe those feelings would, would come back. And so uh, what, I, what I've seen over and over and over again, I've had friends go through this. I've had people in churches that I've pastored go through this where the feelings go away. And so they begin to look for somebody else who can spark those feelings. And so they begin to engage in, in, in an emotional affair, which leads to a physical affair. And then all of a sudden, they're convinced that this other person is the right person, that first person was the wrong person, because if they were the right person, then they would continue to feel the feelings that they felt at, felt at the beach. And so now they found the person. They found the actual person they're supposed to be with. And so they get divorced. And then they get remarried, and then they go on a honeymoon, and then they find themselves back at the beach, and they're like, you know what? I knew it. I knew it. I knew this was the person to bring back all of those feelings. Thank God I didn't waste my time with that other fool. Because now I'm back at the beach experiencing those feelings, and you convince yourself that this person is the one. And then they, in about two or three years, they become not the one again, so you begin to look for the one. And, and the process plays over and over and over And over again. But check out what Thomas says next. I love this. He says, But what if God didn't design our marriages to be easier? Think about that for a second. What if God's design, God didn't design our marriages to be easier? What if God had an end in mind that went beyond our happiness, our comfort, and our desire to be infatuated and happy as if the world was a perfect place? And I love this last line. What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? 
So what if God's design for marriage wasn't simply to fulfill the temporary needs that happiness fills from time to time, but what if God's greatest intention for our marriage was to make us holy, that in the process of us being married and living with another sinful, broken human being, that we would begin to resemble more and more the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, how counterintuitive and how countercultural to everything that our lives are bombarded with by the media, movies, books, and TV. And I began to just simply think, and holiness, the topic and the idea of holiness when it comes to relationships and when it comes to marriage isn't even on Hollywood's radar. But what this does mean is that all of the stress and all the fighting and all the issues that we deal with when it comes to marriage can be a part of God's plan for your life and marriage if you will allow them to be. Think about this. How will you grow in patience if there's, not, if there's no one around to learn how to extend patience towards. I mean, the same goes with grace. How can you be a person who extends grace when you're never in situations where grace needs to be extended towards somebody? I mean, think about forgiveness or sacrificial love. I mean, marriage is an amazing opportunity for each of us to grow in holiness and in character. Now, I know I've just given a lot of really factual, like, well, that's sounds good, but I do enjoy fun from, from time to time. I'm not saying that marriage doesn't have fun moments. They are incredibly, I've had some incredibly fun moments with Jen. I hope she's had some incredibly fun moments with me. She's not in here, so I'm not going to speak for her, but I mean, hopefully she's had some fun. But like I said in the first message, my greatest highs and my lowest lows when it comes to my life have been experienced with Jen but oftentimes have been experienced because of her as well. And, but here's what I'm saying. Marriage is fun. And it's not all character building and, 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 and strengths finding and grace extending, but, it's, but it, it's, it, it, there is so much fun that comes along with marriage. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, it says this of Jesus. It says, he was willing, oh, he was Come on, work. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy set before him. Jesus died in an act of sacrifice. Jesus died in an act of sacrifice, but also because there was joy on the horizon. There was joy coming. And there is joy in marriage. And when you look back at your life and you can say that I was my spouse's greatest cheerleader and greatest friend, no matter what, there's a joy that happens when you look back at a life and you see your kids and you see your grandkids, possibly your great-grandkids, living amazing lives and serving the Lord and knowing that the wrinkled hand that you have and the wrinkled hand that you're holding had a major part in making that happen. Man, that is a reason to experience joy. But along with joy... There is work also. Oftentimes, Scripture says, you know, joy comes in the morning because oftentimes, man, there's just long days and there's long seasons where it feels like there's more work than joy, but I love that joy is something that we look forward to. Uh, Author and marriage expert Kevin Lehman says this. He says this about marriage. He says, marriage has no automatic pilot. You can't flick on a switch and lean back and forget about it. You have to stay at the controls, making adjustments, making it work. Every day you have to choose, you have to decide to love your mate. 
I believe that the last statement is why there are so many couples and so many marriages in, in, our, in our world, in our churches, who feel so unfulfilled in their marriage because so many marriages, at a certain point, you have the option of clicking on autopilot, and so many people do. I know I have in my marriage. I have clicked on autopilot for prolonged seasons. When it comes to our careers, when it comes to my career, when it comes to the kids, when it comes to hobbies, sports or house projects, man, we see people like fully engaged, man. They are woke when it comes to stuff like that, man. Like you, like you want to see my wife like light up, talk about a house project. Man, talk, say the word shiplap and her life just like just radiates joy. You know what I mean? We talk about uh, fantasy football, man. You'll see so many guys get so excited about fantasy football leagues, man. You will see, and, and, and in those moments with those things that they're passionate about, man, they are engaged. They are, they, their perspective is sharp and they're not missing a thing. But when it comes to, to marriage so often, um, we can sit back if we're not careful and kind of develop this mentality of, well, it'll just work itself out over time. And the reality is it won't. A broken lawnmower doesn't just work itself out and become functional again. And neither will a marriage. And so I want to share with you a biblical principle that I believe many of us may know or may be familiar with, but it's not often attached to marriage. But when you see it through the lens of marriage, it can be a pretty profound statement. It's, it's found in Galatians chapter 6, uh, specifically the last part of verse 7, and it says, A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. It would be safe to say that you, in your marriage, are reaping what you have sown into it. Another translation of the Bible put it this way. It says, you are harvesting what you planted. You will harvest in your marriage the things that you've planted into it. And so if you've sown apathy or criticism into your marriage, you will reap negativity and distance. But if you're sowing time, attentiveness, thoughtfulness, and love into your marriage, then you will most definitely reap the rewards of those things. But how does this happen? And so for the remainder of our time, I really only have one more point that I want to hit us with this morning. One more point for the remainder of the message, and I, and I, and I do. I want to hit this, and I want to nail this home, because I believe that this point will help so many marriages find their way back to that priority spot in people's lives, which other than Christ is the next priority if you're married. Your relationship with Jesus is the highest priority in your life. And then when you're married, it comes your marriage. So it goes Jesus. My, my, my list goes like this. It goes like this. It goes Jesus, marriage, fatherhood, pastor. So I, you know, cause I just figure, man, if I got those first three working, this job should just be simple. And, and I can say honestly that when those three are in their proper order, function in the way that they're supposed to be, this job is actually really, really easy. But when this job gets to be hard, I, I can very quickly find which one of those things are out of order in my life. But hopefully this point, this, this, this single point for, our, seri for the, our message today is a point, it's a point of reaping and sowing, and it's, and it's this. It's, you reap where you sow. You reap where you sow. You see, it's not, it, it is true, but it's not only true that you reap what you sow, you also reap where you sow. And so in my life, if I'm thinking, if I put a lot of time and energy into playing basketball and investing my time into working on my jump shot or my ball handling, handling ability, then chances are that I'm going to become, over time, a better basketball player. But if I spend my time investing my ability in becoming the best baseball player that I can be, 
but then come back over here to basketball and expect my basketball game to improve because I practiced my baseball skills, you would look at me like I was crazy. Now let's apply this point to our marriage. If the majority of your time, married couples, and the majority of your attention and energy goes towards a hobby, your career, or your kids, will your marriage get better because of that? See, the reality is, we look at those things, and, and I can begin to justify how they will, but the actual answer is, is, is no. My marriage will not become better when the best of my energy is put towards other things than my marriage. And if we're not careful, we can lose our intentionality or that high-priority place that our relationship had when we were dating. Do you remember when you were dating? And it was like, man, i got to get off work because I'm going to see my lady or I'm going to see my boyfriend. I mean, there was a high priority on your time, on your energy. And then somehow, if we're not careful, that priority and that intentionality can, can dwindle as the years go along in marriage because oftentimes we just have the, the mentality we can fall into it. If, well, I, I got them. I got them. They're not going anywhere. Husbands, can I, can I say this to you? There is someone out there who would love to love your wife more than you do. And wives, there is someone out there who would love to show your husband attention more than you. And if we're not careful, we can create distance between our relationship and the priority that it's supposed to have. And and again, I, it's, and I'm not saying that having hobbies, I, I think having hobbies is great. I, I really do. I think having fun, having those things that you enjoy, guys, the things that you guys, us as guys enjoy doing with another group of guys, I think that's so important. And I think that we need to build time into our lives for that, ladies. I think that you guys need to build time into your lives to enjoy time if you if you're, uh, have kids away from home, away from the kids, to go out with, with girlfriends or just go see rom whatever you ladies, I don't know what you guys do. So it's what Paul said, it's a profound mystery to me. But I always know that when Jen comes back from doing whatever she does, I'm poor. I just know that. But, <laughs> but I think that having hobbies and having life outside of your marriage is important. I really do. I think having a best friend other than your spouse is an important thing. Honestly, I'm going to say this, and, and you're gonna, some of you are going to disagree with me, and you're going to get mad and maybe never come back, but whatever. I don't think your spouse should be your best friend. Because Jen's not mine. Dun, dun, dun. She's in kids, so that's why I'm saying this right now. Uh, <laughs> and she doesn't listen to the podcast, so nobody knows. <laughs> no, but uh, like my best friend is Nate Mueller. That's my best friend. And why is Nate my best friend? Because I know that I have a confidant who I can come to in moments where there are things that are going on in my marriage that eventually I will talk to Jen about, but in the moment of processing, I go to Nate, not Jen. If I'm going through issues of purity, I go to Nate, not Jen, because nothing will bum my wife out more than saying, yeah, I'm having this really awkward time checking out this woman at work. That's not you. So I go to Nate. I go to my best friend. And then as I process with my best friend, I go to my friend, Jen my wife, my lover, as, as, as it said in Song of Solomon, my, I go to her as, I'm, as I've processed through these things. 
And so, I, I, again, I, I want to hit home. I think having a life outside of your marriage is important. But, again, I want to come back to the question. But if the majority of your time, attention, and energy goes towards other things than your marriage, will your marriage be better because of it? If you leave for work and you come home and you eat on the fly and you run endless errands or run kids to different activities and different events and then you come home and you veg out in front of different screens until you both pass out from exhaustion, your marriage will suffer. Coexisting in the same room is not the same thing as quality time. But if you carve out time each day to connect, not shoulder to shoulder, but face to face with each other, or spend time each week or twice a month or whatever you can manage to get out and truly spend time together away from the house, away from the kids. And here's a fancy idea. When you go out on a date, forget your phone in the car. You will begin to see your marriage grow. You will begin to see and you will begin to reap benefits and reward from placing priority on the most important relationship in your life other than Jesus. And that's the relationship with your spouse. One day Taylor came home and, and I was picking her up from school and I just was not understanding what she was talking about. Oftentimes it happens. Uh, she, she talks so fast. I wonder where she gets that from. And, uh, and she was just talking and all I kept picking up was this word bucket. I just kept picking up this word bucket, and I was so confused, and she kept talking about it, and so finally Jen had to explain to me that this, the topic she's talking about is that she wants to be a bucket filler and not a bucket emptier. And so basically what that means is, is, is Taylor wants to live life. She wants to be a bucket filler. She, filler. she wants to use positive words or acts that lead towards another person's happiness or joy. And I'm like, man, that's amazing. And then, then she's talking about the fact that she doesn't want to be a bucket emptier, which is basically the opposite of being a bucket filler. And when we look at marriage, that are, there are things that if we are not careful, and we, we're not careful, if we look at things, we are definitely going to see that there are, if I were to give everyone a piece of paper and write down what are the things in your relationships or your marriages that fill your bucket, I, I have a genuine idea that relationally and in marriage, I could guess what most of those times would be. Quality time, acts of service, words of encouragement, gifts, physical contact, and sex for married couples only, preface, uh, these are things that pour into your relationships and fill your marital bucket. But what about the things that will drain your marriage? Drain the life, drain the metaphorical marriage bucket, man, things. And these are things that, that just happen in life. There's really no way of getting around these things, but, you know, they, they do drain us. But things like stress, uh, careers, financial issues, conflicts, some, you could add kids to that list at times. Because, man, they know how to kill a moment, don't they? <laughs> they just know when, I think dad's trying to kiss mom, so I'm going to wake up and just annoy them and not go back to bed. But, as you know, but sometimes you get to add kids. But, man, if your marriage, again, revolves around scheduling, raising kids, keeping a house clean, and sharing a to-do list, and running an endless amount of errands, your, the soon, and very soon your marriage will begin to feel empty. When you're so busy... And I realize I'm, I'm using this phrase, so don't laugh. But if you're so busy putting out and putting out and putting out and putting out and depleting your energy and joy in your marriage, you will end up with an unhealthy balance and you will be functioning in, in, a, in a lack of health when it comes to your marriage. You will try to give out of a depleted relational bucket. And when your drains outnumber your fills, the outcome is predictable and it's not favorable. So what do we do with this? 
with all this information that we've talked about, when it talks about making your marriage a priority. So what do we do with this? And as we conclude this morning, I just want to give two quick tips on how you can practically today take positive steps towards making your marriage a priority. And And the first one is this. Reprioritize your priorities. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The best of you will follow what you value most. I want to repeat that. The best of who you are will always follow what you value most. And so if you spend the best of you, again, on hobbies, your career, your friends, your kids, and not your spouse or your marriage, then you will— then then you need to tell those other things that they are out of order and do something about it. Because here's the thing, the things that you're in, they're not bad things. People want you to be involved in relationships, but no one in those relationships, honestly, will probably tell you that, you know what, you probably should spend less, Netflix will not tell you spend less time with me and more time with your spouse. Usually that, are you still watching this? little cue that comes up might be a, but we're just like, no, I'm not, I'm not done watching, you know what I mean? Like, there's like built-in hints, but, but here's the thing. Hulu will not tell you to spend more time with your husband. Chip and Joanna Gaines will not tell you to spend more time with your husband because I hate them. So this takes an intentional act and step on your part to tell the things in your life that they're out of order and reprioritize. Stop and oh man. Stop giving your spouse and your marriage your leftovers. Stop giving your spouse or your marriage your emotional, spiritual and physical leftovers. But prioritize them so that they get the best of you. Because your heart follows what you treasure. And point number 2 is this, adopt a one by one by one strategy. I'm going to go through this real quick and then I'll end. What do I mean by this? It's a point of connecting face-to-face once a day, once a week, and once a year. This is not the side-by-side time where you're both on your phones, you're both on your computer, you're watching Hulu or Netflix, but rather this is face-to-face time where where distractions are shut off and and put away, and you spend time once a day, once a week, and once a year face-to-face with your spouse. Let me tell you, the first time, it is terrifying. It's terrifying. Marriage expert and author and psychologist John Gottman has determined that that growing and thriving marriages get on average five hours a week of uninterrupted face-to-face time. And so once a day, let's talk about this. Once a day, real quick. Once a day, that's taking about 15 to 20 minutes. Once Maybe once the kids are in bed, once the lawn is mowed, once things are really done for the day, before you fall back into the couch and become a uh, part of that l- wonderful material and you just feel like you're one with the couch and the couch is one with you, before you do that, find 15 to 20 minutes to catch up with your spouse, to connect. I love that Nathan and Elena talked about that in the video, just those moments of having an intentional conversation with each other once a day. Talk about the highs and the lows, and then this is, this is incredible. This will change things. Take time to pray with each other. Not one person doing the majority, but have your wife, husbands, pray for you. And husbands, pray for your wives. So take once a day to connect. Take once a week. And, and, you know, and so this, is, this may not be practical based on the amount of money you want to put into a sitter. So I want to give you just a, a pr- these are kind of like date nights getting away. An idea that I heard on the podcast, the One Extraordinary Marriage podcast, is what if you, with another couple that you trusted with your children, what if you guys did a kid swap? 
Where one week you watch their kids, the next week you watch your kids. And so it actually more would be like a one by two by one pr process in your life. But, but instead of having to spend money on a babysitter, what if you just partnered with another couple and they watched your kids and you watched their kids so that you guys could maybe twice a month instead of once, or twice a month instead of once a week get away for a date night. This is again, the process of maybe possibly forgetting your phone in your car on purpose or by accident and having nothing to distract you except for the person that you stood and looked eye to eye with one day long ago go and said, I will treasure you always. Getting that eye, that face-to-face -face time once a week or however it works. And then once a year, this is, this is the planning and processing part. This is the idea of taking a trip and leaving the kids at home. Just put a Disney movie on repeat and leave. Don't do that. I use that as a joke often and one person took me seriously and it was not a great end of the conversation. So I don't say that except in front of you people who I trust. Uh, and, but, but this is meant leaving the kids with the grandparents or a stranger, depending on how bad you want to get out of town. It's up to you. But get away and enjoy your spouse. Get back to the beach or go to Beaver Bay. I was just there yesterday. Man, it is beautiful. And there are cabins and there is nothing but lakeside property on that place. And it is gorgeous. But make time, plan. Once a year, we are going to get away, whether for a long weekend or for an extended amount of time. But take time to enjoy your spouse. But if you don't plan it or prioritize it, you won't do it. Isn't it amazing how in life there's always something that comes up? There's going to be something that appears more urgent in the moment, and your marriage is going to take a back seat. But I would say that this time, the one of face-to-face -face time, should be guarded with more intensity and more intentionality, intentionality than you would guard your kids with. And that's not a joke. See, if you're a parent in this place and you have kids, the best thing that you could do for your kids is to have a marriage relationship that is healthy and thriving. The best thing you can do for your kids. Marriage is hard, but it leads us towards holiness. Don't disengage in marriage because it's hard, but rather place a high priority on investing in your spouse and your marriage. And I love what the writer of Hebrews says. It says, for the joy set before you. Keep your eyes focused on the joy set before you. Cool? Cool. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. God, that you are creative. I thank you that you, were the, you are the creator of marriage. And God, I pray once again for marriages in this room. Father, forgive us for those moments where we have lost, we have misplaced our marriage in the priority list of life. And God, I pray, Lord, that this, com this monologue would lead to a conversation between couples when maybe their marriage isn't the top priority in their lives. God, would you begin conversations so that we could see healthy marriages exist once again, fulfilled marriages. God, you are the giver of all good things. And God, for some of us, we just need to be remembered that our spouse is one of those good things that you gave us. Thanks for listening to the Motion City Church podcast. We hope that you have a great week. To find out more information about Motion City Church, please go to www.motioncitychurch.com or you can follow us at Motion City MN on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or Twitter.